What's up, everybody? Welcome to Weiss. I'm your host, Aaron Weiss, alongside the Duchess of Decatur, Erica Jane Weiss. Hello, everybody. Uh, I don't know why. I thought there would be a bigger hello. Um, <laughs> <laughs> there usually is. We usually have some cute banta. Yeah, there really is. Um, so... This is Chamber of Secrets, and sorry it's a little late, folks. We meant to post it yesterday, but uh, we haven't even recorded it until today, so... And sometimes that's just how the cookie crumbles. I had a lot of grad school, we had friends over, so we had to clean, you know, you know the way it goes. Yup. So, of course, everyone, this is Weiss Camera Action, the show where each and every week on your favorite podcast service, Erica and I review movies... Or series of movies. If you like that and you want to be a part of the show, go to patreon.com slash Weisscast, where a dollar a month tier grants you the uh, ability to be aired on the podcast with questions. Or you can write, um, just write into us to say, hey, I've never checked the email, because I don't think there's anything there. Um, also, the one dollar tier gets you Patre- gets Patreon supporters mentioned in the credits, as well as a shout out during the show big thanks to our patreon producers chrono slinger and pepe danger if you don't have a chance to toss change our way that's no big deal you can catch the show each and every week on podcast services around the globe housekeeping for you this is the second episode of the semi-new format harry potter books and films it's a I think what I mean is that we're comparing them instead of doing yes. our normal. Solely, so what am I trying to say? Yeah, solely movies. Instead of doing that, we're doing mm-hmm. movies with a little hint of books. Also, in case you missed it, Wisecast is back in a new format with brand new co-hosts. Emphasis on the. And we will be back on Monday as well. Um, let's just jump right into some fun facts first. Tom Felton forgot his line when Draco sees Harry disguised as Goyle, so he improvised. I didn't know you could read. Which is hilarious. That, that, it, that just came out yeah. of Tom Felton's brain, and they're like, yeah, we're keeping that. Uh, Shirley Henderson, who portrayed Moaning Myrtle, is the oldest actress at the age of 37 to pr- portray a Hogwarts student. Which, I don't want to be mean... But she's supposed to have, like, a little crush on Harry. And Harry is, um, 12. So that, I, I do have an issue with that. <laughs> yeah, it's it's really weird. Especially, like, um, we'll get to it in the future spoilers. But in later books, it becomes even weirder. Yeah, for uh, real. Uh, later movies as well. Um, let's see, let's see. Shorter ones. Um, 14 Ford... Angelias were were destroyed to create the scene where Harry and Ron crash into the Whomping Willow. Seems like a waste of cars. Sure does. Nurses were drafted into the production when an outbreak of head lice occurred amongst the young cast. Aww. Little children getting lice. Um, Full-size models replaced the cast members in scenes where their characters could have been petrified. I actually did know that. I... Remember always wondering why Emma Watson looked so weird when she was petrified? I was like, that doesn't even look like Emma Watson. And 
It's because it was like a wax figure, like a Madame Tussauds style wax figure. That makes so much sense. And last but not least, in the UK, this became the first movie to achieve 1 million DVD sales in its first weekend. Good old DVDs. (laughs) R.I.P. So those were some fun facts for you. I think... I think we can get in right into uh, the summary. So let's let's just hop right in. We're, today we're reading from the Wikipedia summary as opposed to the fandom wiki. Um, while spending the summer at the Dursleys, 12-year-old Harry is visited by a house elf named Dobby. He warns Harry he warns that Harry is in danger and must not return to Hogwarts. Harry refuses, so Dobby magically ruins Aunt Petunia and Uncle Vernon's dinner party. A furious Uncle Vernon locks Harry into his room in retaliation. The Ministry of Magic immediately sends a notice accusing Harry of performing underage magic and threatening dismissal from Hogwarts. Ron Weasley and his brothers, Fred and George, arrive in their father's flying Ford Anglia and rescue Harry, taking him to the Weasley home. Harry and the entire Weasley family travel to Diagon Alley for school supplies. Um, also, this is kind of glossing over one of the most iconic lines in this movie. Yes. When um, Mrs. Weasley confronts Harry, Ron, Fred, and George when they come home in the flying car. And she says, where have you been? And it's so iconic. Bed empty. No notes car gone. You could have died. I just felt like that needed to be mentioned because I... That's, like, our second introduction to Mrs. Weasley, but the first time we see her angry, and, um, it's, yeah, it's good stuff. Very iconic. Yeah, and also, uh, it's glossing over, um, the introduction of flu powder, um, which is how they travel to Diagon Mm. Alley, and, um, when you use flu powder in the wizarding world, you, uh, get a hand of this powder, handful of this powder and you have to go into or near a um fireplace and you just you know kind of throw it down kind of like on yourself like on the ground and you say exactly where you want to go you have to say it very clearly and the weasleys make this abundantly clear and harry still misspeaks and sa- instead of saying diagon alley he says diagonally and um Gets, not, he basically goes diagonally across from Diagon Alley. Is kind yeah. of what happens. Yeah, he he's uh in like the darker part of the Wizarding World in London. Um. So yeah, they kind of glossed over that. So, anyways, <clears throat> they run into Hermione and meet Lucius Malfoy, father of Harry's nemesis Draco, and also Gilderoy Lockhart, a conceited autobiographer and adventurer who is. The new defense against the dark arts professor. At King's Cross Station, Harry and Ron are unable to enter Platform 9 and 3 quarters and miss the Hogwarts Express. They fly Mr. Weasley's car to Hogwarts, crashing into the Whomping Willow on school grounds and damaging Ron's hand-me-down wand. The car then escapes into the forest. And I'm going to add in a couple of sentences right. here. Um, this is the first time that they are threatened with expulsion. It happens a few other times, but this is the first time that both Snape and Dumbledore are like, yeah, this is like a grounds to get kicked out of the school. And McGonagall's like, well, they're in my house and I kind of like them. <laughs> so they 
should stay. Anyways, we can continue on now. Yes. Because that's, like, really bad. Like, skipping the train and flying a car to school is, like, bad. It is bad, but at the same time, it's not their fault. It's totally their fault. Well, not the skipping the train part. Oh, no, it's not their fault that they missed the train at all. But they, they didn't need to get in the flying car. They could have simply waited there until Mr. and Mrs. Weasley came back and been like, y'all will never guess. We, <laughs> we can't get through. Anyways, um, Harry learns that some in the wizarding community disdain muggle-born wizards like Hermione, believing purebloods are superior. Harry is the only one who hears a strange voice emanating from the castle walls. Soon after Mr. Filch's cat, Mrs. Norris, is found petrified, along with a bloody warning scrawled on the wall, the Chamber of Secrets has been opened. Enemies of the air, beware. It is believed that Salazar Slytherin, one of the school's founders, created a chamber after a dispute with the fellow founders on admitting muggle-born students. The chamber supposedly houses a monster that only the heir of Slytherin can control. During a Quidditch game, a rogue bludger strikes Harry, breaking his arm. Lockhart blunders an attempt to repair it, sending Harry to the hospital overnight. Oh, he doesn't just blunder it. He literally, uh erases harry's bones in his arm yeah and it looks crazy i remember that being one of the first time that cgi in a movie actually like i had like a physical reaction to it like it really freaked me out when i was little it yeah it it was definitely freaky for like a little kid but like upon viewing it now it doesn't even look like what an arm would look like without yeah i mean it looked looked like like rubber in fact it might not even be cgi I don't know, it might just straight up be like a rubber arm. Exactly. But I remember being really freaked out by that as a kid. Yeah, because just the way that it like kind of flops. Mm-hmm. They bend it like where his like the middle of his forearm should be. They like bend it straight in half. Yeah. And I remember being like, Ew! <laughs> <laughs> I hate it here! Um, sending Harry to the hospital overnight. Dobby visits Harry there. And reveals that he jinxed the bludger and sealed the portal at King's Cross. He says that the Chamber of Secrets was once opened years before. After another attack, students attend a defensive dueling class where, during which Harry spontaneously exhibits a rare abar- ability to speak Postle Mouse, the language of snakes. Well, that's actually incorrect. What? He speaks parcel tongue. But he is a parcel mouse. Exactly. But the Wikipedia miswrote it. Um, And I don't know if this is very clear here. He didn't know that he could speak parcel tongue until he did it. Like, he was just as shocked as as everyone else. Well, he didn't know that it was weird. Oh, and he also didn't even know that he was doing it. Right. He thought he was saying in English to the snake, go away or something like that. Mm Mm-hmm. And he was speaking in, in parcel tongue, and everyone else heard him speaking parcel tongue, which is a whole different language, but he didn't know. Right, and and like you said, like we said, he didn't know that he was doing it, but also once he figured out that he was doing it, he didn't realize that it was weird or strange. He right. thought that it was a pretty common ability for uh, wizards, because, I mean, if you think about it, he's only known he's been a wizard for like a year, and so he still has no idea of the wizarding world. Pretty and, much. like, he had spoken to a snake before at the zoo last year, so he probably was like, oh, I, I don't know, I guess I just talked to snakes, that's cool, do you do that too, Ron? Like, he had no idea, it was a weird thing. Anyway. Yeah. 
Thanks. <laughs> I love parcel tongue. I do too. It sounds crazy. It sounds, yeah. They made it sound really good in the movies because, like, so you too. can you can't can't really imagine it that much in the books. It's just like they kind of describe it as like hissy talking, right? And so that I mean that could be like, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, but it sounds way cooler in the movies. I hope that was really loud in all the listeners' ears. <laughs> um. Harry, Ron, and Hermione suspect Draco is the heir, given his hostility towards Muggleborns. Hermione secretly brews Polyjuice Potion, allowing Harry and Ron to impersonate Draco's lackeys, Crab and Goyle. They learn that Draco knows nothing about the heir. Meanwhile, Moaning Myrtle, a ghost that haunts the girls' bathroom, shows the trio a diary left in her stall. It belonged to Tom Riddle, a student who witnessed another student's death during... The chamber's previous opening. Riddle's unconsciousness within the diary claims to Harry that Hagrid was responsible. Hermione is petrified in the next attack. The school is put on lockdown and may close. Headmaster Albus Dumbledore is forced out and Hagrid is sent to Azkaban prison. Do we want to expound on any of that? Yeah, sure. Go on. Um... Okay, so the Tom Riddle that lived within the diary didn't just tell Harry that it was Hagrid. He, like, takes Harry back 50 years into a very vivid memory of it being Hagrid. Like, Harry can visually see everything that's going on as if he is there. So it's a pretty cool scene how it's done. Like, we get to see Dumbledore 50 years younger. We get to see Hagrid 50 years younger. So it's like that's it's cool in that way, and also we first get to see um, Hagrid's pet spider. Um, Freaky stuff. Yeah. Anyway, so it's presumed <coughs> that Hagrid is the one who opened the Chamber of Secrets, and the monster that lived within it was um, his pet spider. Yeah. Um, also, this sequence in the movie and in the book kind of sets up similar sequences later in the series um but it just doesn't happen in the diary it, it it's oh yeah it's another way to um vividly become part of past memories mm-hmm. um which is which is pretty cool because i mean you got to imagine that similar magic is at play mm-hmm. um following instructions Hagrid left harry and ron follow spiders into the forbidden forest and they encounter a gigantic Acromantula named Aragog, which denies its involvement and claims spiders fear the real monster. Aragog attempts to feed Harry and Ron to its progeny, but Mr. Weasley's car rescues them. It's the car! (laughs) Harry! (laughs) Harry and Ron discover that Hermione had deduced the monster is a basilisk. A gigantic snake whose direct gaze kills and petrifies victims when seen in a reflection. Harry concludes that the basilisk is the voice in the walls and that it's traveling through the plumbing. He also realizes Moaning Myrtle was a student that was killed. Ginny Weasley is abducted and taken into the chamber. Harry and Ron discover the entrance in Myrtle's bathroom and force Lockhart to enter with them. Lockhart confesses he is... 
a magically incompetent fraud and <laughs> attempts to erase the boy's <laughs> memories using Ron's damaged wand. The spell backfires, obliterating his own memory and causes a rock fall separating Ron and Harry. Harry proceeds to the chamber and finds an unconscious Ginny. A manifestation of Tom Riddle reveals that he is Lord Voldemort and the heir of Slytherin. He previously opened the chamber and framed Hagrid. He has been using the diary to possess and control Ginny, who had been having or who had been, been bleh, who had been behaving strangely. He then unleashes the basilisk. Dumbledore's Phoenix Fox arrives, bringing Harry the sorting hat. Fox blinds the basilisk, and Harry pulls the sword of Godric Gryffindor from the sorting hat. He slays the basilisk, but is poisoned by its venom. As Riddle taunts the dying Harry, Fox, Fox's tears heal Harry. Harry stabs Riddle's diary with a basilisk fang, destroying it and Riddle, and reviving Ginny. Which, it's really cool in the movie when Harry is fighting the basilisk. I always love that sequence of him having to, like, go back and forth between... Um, like, fighting Riddle and, like, learning more about Riddle and then trying to go check on Ginny and then the Basilisk is coming out and he has to fight him. I feel like he's kind of going back and forth doing all those things at the same time. And it's pretty... It's, like, a really cool sequence, I think. I really like that part. It is really cool. Um, Harry, Ron, and Ginny and Lockhart return to the castle. Harry Lockhart doesn't know what's going on! He doesn't. He's like, this is cool. Is this, like, magic? Is this magic? Is, I love it. Like, he has no idea about anything because his memory is gone. Harry gives the diary to Dumbledore, who is curious about it. Lucius Malfoy bursts in, furious that Dumbledore returned. He is accompanied by Dobby, who is the Malfoy's slave and was working to protect Harry. Harry realizes that Lucius slipped the diary into Ginny's cauldron when in Diagon Alley to open the chamber. Harry tricks Lucius into freeing Dobby from servitude. Lucius attempts to attack Harry, but in revenge, or in revenge, but Dobby magically deflects him. And this is another very iconic part of the movie. Yeah, like, this is literally the first time that you even hear the words, or almost hear the word, Avada Kedavra uttered. Whoa, okay, that's true, and that's something I didn't notice until pretty recently watching the movies, yeah. that... Lucius literally raises his wand towards Harry and says, like, Avada, and yeah. then he gets blown away by Dobby. He was literally going to kill Harry on Hogwarts grounds for freeing Dobby. But I would say the way that Dobby is freed, just that, so Harry, the only way to free a house elf is to remove your, or not to remove any clothes, that's funny, is to give a house elf clothes, and so, um... Harry gives, okay, Harry puts his sock into the diary, gives the diary to Lucius Malfoy, knowing Lucius Malfoy would be like, I don't want this, here Dobby, take it. And then Dobby opens it to see that there's a sock inside, so Lucius unknowingly gives Dobby clothes. And the way Dobby reacts is like his face lights up, like his ears perk up, like you can see him just like really get excited. And he says, Master has given Dobby a sock. Dobby is free. And it's like such a sweet, like a sweet moment. I feel like Harry did 
like something really big for Dobby. Um, and I just feel like that's always a moment that sticks out to me. And I feel like that's a line that people quote a lot. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The master has given Dobby a sock. Dobby is free. Uh, the petrified students are cured. Gryffindor wins the house cup again. Hagrid is released. Lockhart is confined to St. Mungo's Hospital for magical maladies and injuries. injuries. And Harry returns to Privet Drive in high spirits. So, Erica. Yes. Let's analyze this movie a little bit. Like, what, what do you think about Chamber of Secrets? I think... So I just think that all of the Harry Potter movies are so strong that sometimes this one gets kind of lost in the shuffle. I don't hear a lot of people. In fact, I don't know if I know anyone who says that Chamber of Secrets is their favorite movie. Mm -hmm. Do you know what I mean? Although, I think it is, like, the perfect sequel. Yes. I, like, Harry, like, the, the layout of it is perfect because it really builds on the information we already have from the first book. But it also gives us so many new characters and so much new information about the magical world. We learn more about Harry. And he still gets to have that um, progression of believing that the wrong person is actually the heir of Slytherin. Just like in the last movie, he had the wrong person who he thought was going after the Sorcerer's Stone. So there's that same kind of trope and that same kind of storyline. Um, and then he gets to confront Voldemort and fight Voldemort and win again. So I think in that way, it really is a perfect sequel because it feels very fresh, but it also feels familiar. Yes. And I really enjoy this as a sequel because it really builds on the groundwork that JK Rowling laid out in Sorcerer's Stone. And... It continues the story in a really smart way, but also it doesn't, like, build out the world too, too much. Like, a lot of times, sequels can feel like they need to build out the world, like, tenfold. And I think this builds out the world just enough. Mm -hmm. And it shows, like, it's like another different look at Voldemort mm -hmm. who is obviously going to be like the big bad for the whole series now like at this point um and I think it it does a lot for developing <clears throat> all of the characters uh and furthering the story um without making anything feel like filler yeah and honestly, I mean, the same can be said for the books, but I'm, I'm right there with you that um, I don't know anyone whose favorite Harry Potter movie is Chamber of Secrets. I will say, like like Erica was saying, like they're all so good. Um, some of the other ones just outshine this one, especially like, I mean, you got to think of Deathly Hallows Part 2, yeah. um, Azkaban, yeah. like... Those are just so solid, but I, I still think this is good and possibly even better than the first. Yeah, it's hard for me to decide if I would think that this one is better than the first or not, because I think the first one has even more of a nostalgic value than the second one does. Like how I was saying in the last episode, the first one hits on 
Halloween, it hits on Christmas, and it hits on, like, the kitty, quirky, like, kind of um, gimmicky magic, if that makes any sense. This one still hits on that kitty, quirky, gimmicky magic, but there's not really a Halloween scene, and the Christmas scene is the day that they use the polyjuice potion. That's Christmas. Right. And you don't even know it's Christmas. So I feel or like you forget it's Christmas. I guess yeah, I guess that's what they it definitely is. mention it, but it, it's like and Draco finds a present that he steals. So I guess like there's like little hints that it's yeah. Christmas, but it's not like the prime thing that's happening in that scene. Um, and I don't know why those would be reasons that I like the first movie better, just because it's more Christmassy. Like that's so stupid. But um, no, I think I would still okay. Not that we're even at rankings yet. Let me not get there yet. Yeah. Um. Regardless, though, I think it is. Like, such a perfect follow-up to the first movie. You know, I think that if they had just jumped right into something like um, Prisoner of Azkaban, it might have been a little too much so quick. But this is the perfect sequel to me. Also, something else we should mention is that it's the same director as the first movie. Yes, which... So this, the vibe is very much the same. Right, and... I think in the first four movies they had three different directors Mm -hmm. and then from five on it's the same director it's the same yeah yeah so um i guess i don't know why i i understand why the director that they had was the first two movies because before harry potter he was famous for the home alone movies um and you kind of see that um you you kind of see his uh his filmography in these first two movies like you see the the kind of mischievous kid side um, taking on big bad adults and they're only kids yeah exactly and very whimsical those you know home alone is very whimsical and so is the first two Mm -hmm. movies and actually, um, recently he was interviewed and said he would love to direct um, the play uh, Harry Potter and the Cursed Child. Like direct it to like a film, right? Yeah, yeah. adapt the the play into the film, um, which would be really cool. Yes, I agree. Um, I I mean, not to get too far off topic, but I've avoided reading that because i've heard like i mean it's essentially a screenplay right yes it's 100 percent a screenplay um i've heard that reading it doesn't necessarily do it justice and a lot of people that have seen the stage play have said it's really good i think everyone i know who has seen it says it's the best play they've ever seen wow yeah um and as far as Harry Potter books go, if you think of reading the screenplay as reading a Harry Potter book, it's easily the worst. <laughs> but it's because so much of the play is supposed to be visual. Like, they take polyjuice potion in the play. Apparently, like, you see on stage people drinking polyjuice potion and they, like, do a 360 spin. And when they are facing the stage at one point, they're one character. And when they turn around, they're a different character. And it literally feels like you're watching magic happen on stage. And I want to see it so bad. Um, but I have never seen it, so I would love to see a yes. movie production of it. I, I would, love, I would love to see the stage production as well, but I think, honestly, it'd be quicker for us to wait for a movie. <laughs> like, yeah, no, that's very true. I think <clears throat> is, we would probably have to go to England. Yeah. 
No, maybe that's not true. They probably do it in New York. Right. They must. Regardless, it's not very accessible. They don't, like, do um, national tours of it like they do other... Plays plays. and musicals. Right. Um, But anyways, we'll get to that when we get to that. Yeah. um, Let's talk about the book versus the movie. What is left out of the movie or... This, once again, is a very faithful adaptation. It is. Not very much, I think, was cut. Like... Hmm, you know what is cut? Hmm. Is Nearly Headless Nick's death day party. Yes, yes. (laughs) And that is really the Halloween... Oh my gosh, that is Halloween. You're right, yeah. That is Halloween and... Um, just because they leave it out of the, it, it, I will say that like leaving it out of the movie does feel weird because like the first one, it didn't necessarily have, have an emphasis on holidays, but it did always bring them up. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I, I think it was a strange choice to like, maybe they just didn't want to do a death day. Like, I mean, the movie's rated PG, like yeah. it's definitely marketed more towards kids could be a little but i mean so are the books right um also i would say that's one of the scenes where if you take it out it does not affect the plot at all right right like it's just nearly headless nick and his ghost friends and they're really cool ghosts and he wants to be part of their club and they won't let him in but they come to his party anyway and um anyway so that I that's an understandable scene to take out, I guess. Yes, and um, like you said, it doesn't really further the plot or anything. It's just kind of a silly situation that Harry's in. Yeah. Um, and do you know what it does though? It establishes his friendship with Nearly Headless Nick for the books to come, because well, Nearly Headless Nick doesn't really hang out in the rest of the movies. But Harry and him do talk a lot in the rest of the book, so that kind of is a starting point of their friendship, I think. Well, it also gives him a reason to have, like, a a better reason, I think, to have found the next petrified body, or the first petrified body. I don't know if it's Mrs. Norris or um, Colin Creedy. Oh, but, does he find those bodies after the death yeah, party in the book? Yeah, because oh, um, remember, right. Snape is wondering where he was at the Halloween feast. Yes, you are absolutely <clears throat> right. Um, and I don't remember what the reasoning is for him in the movie. But I think it, he was serving detention with... Um, Lockhart? Yeah, which yeah. is a great scene also. <laughs> that is a great scene. Celebrity is as celebrity does. Remember that. Fame is a fickle friend, Harry. <laughs> Um, but all of that being said, not much was cut from the book in the movie adaptation. It's, it's probably 95% there. Yeah, it's a very, very faithful adaptation. Um, and I think once again, Rowling herself helped write the script. Um, so like it feels very authentic. Um, Mm -hmm. the characters feel particularly written for film like that that's like the best thing about these movie adaptations to me is like they don't feel necessarily like book characters translated to film they feel like film characters does that make sense yes it does i just have another thing that's a little different Mm -hmm. is um how Ginny is after harry saves her from the chamber of secrets in the movie she just kind of wakes up and she's like 
yo, Harry, you'll never believe it. Like, it was me all along. <laughs> it was it, me, Harry. And then in the book, she wakes up and she immediately bursts into tears. And she's like, I'm getting expelled. Like, my life is so hard. I can't believe that just happened. And then they fly her back up the chamber or whatever. And they go to Dumbledore's office. And Mr. and Mrs. Weasley are already in Dumbledore's office crying because Ginny is presumed dead. Mm-hmm. Do you remember that? And, like, they have this whole... Um, reunion and it's like a really happy thing also leading into the end of year feast which happened I think in the middle of the night like a big celebration that they caught the or they closed the chamber or whatever is that um, like both Harry and Ron earn like 200 points apiece for Gryffindor or something and they have like even a though mir- Ron does nothing and they have I know, and they have like a miraculous win for Gryffindor two years in a row and and Ginny gets to go and she's not expelled and Dumbledore is very understanding and, and that's kind of like a cool scene I guess that isn't in the movie. One more thing to analyze and this has to do with both the book and the movie. They really didn't give Ron or Hermione to do or, or I mean granted Hermione had a good reason she was petrified. But they didn't give either of them anything to do, like, in the climax of the movie. Like, Ron literally sidelined because he's blocked off by a wall of rock. Whereas in the first movie, he's helping Harry and Hermione solve the chess game. And, like... his heroic moment. Yeah. Like, Ron's really sidelined in this. And I think... I mean, I, I don't necessarily understand why that was the direction... Like, I, I feel, I feel like he didn't need to be sidelined. That's what I'm trying to say. I agree. It would have been cool for him to get to, maybe, I don't know. I think especially because it was Ginny in there, it was his sister. I feel like it yeah. would have been important for him to get to go help out with that. But yeah, um, I think, I don't know how they would have changed it, but I think that would have been smart. Um, let's get into some What's up, everyone? Welcome to Kudu Badu, the podcast within a podcast where cool dudes talk bad dudes. I'm your host, Erica Weiss. I'm one of the cool dudes. The other cool dude is, of course, Aaron. This week, we are looking at villains from Harry Potter and the Chamber of Secrets. And I have a big question about this. Yes. Can Lockhart be considered a villain? I just want him to be because I think he's the most lovable villain of all. But I don't think he really is. Well, he kind of is because, I mean, he threatens Harry and Ron, like, in the chamber. Yeah. Um, so I would very much say that Lockhart is um, is the combination of Lockhart and Voldemort. And Malfoy again. And Malfoy again. Better than Snape, Quirrell, Voldemort, and Malfoy. Mm. That's tough. <laughs> Malfoy becomes even worse in this one, I would say. This is the one where he's not just a little punk. He's a racist little punk. Yeah. So that's like, 
you know, a whole nother layer. I would go on ahead and say yes. I think Quirrell was not the best villain. Um, but he's really bad. Are we rating it in terms of likable villains or in how bad they are? Because I don't think Lockhart is as bad as Quirrell. Lockhart well, wasn't in cahoots with Voldemort. Well, you're right, but... I just don't know how we're ranking them, is the thing. If we're ranking them in terms of just who we enjoyed watching. I, I think enjoyed watching. Okay, then it's got to be Lockhart. Yeah. It'll so... be hard to beat Lockhart for me. I think he's really enjoyable. Lockhart. Good old Voldy. And Malfoy. Yep. And, I mean, also, I mean, at some point, like... then No future spoilers, but there is a book slash movie where there really isn't that much of a bad guy. Um, so, um, Aaron and I were just for the listeners, we were just holding up numbers to see if we were thinking of the same book or movie. We were not, uh, <laughs> but both were accurate. Yeah. So, um, I, I, that puts the rankings now at number one, Lockhart slash Voldemort slash Malfoy. Number two, Snape slash Quirrell slash Voldemort slash Malfoy. And at that, let's get into Kudu Dada. <laughs> What's up, everyone? Welcome to Kudu Dada, the podcast within a podcast where cool dudes talk defense against the art doc. Defense Against the Dark Arts Teachers. I'm your host, Aaron Weiss, and I'm joined by a fellow cool dude, Erica, as usual. Let's take a look at this week's Defense Against the Dark Arts Teacher. Gilderoy Gilderoy Lockhart. So, hardly any of you remember that my favorite color is lilac. He's a doll! (laughs) Lockhart is for sure... Way more iconic than Quirrell. Oh, yeah. Is he a better teacher? Well, we don't really know because we never saw Quirrell actually teach. Um, but I am willing to put him over Quirrell just because he's just very iconic and endlessly quotable. And the little music that plays when he walks in. Do, 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 I love his theme music. I, yeah, I think that... And he's always beaming. He is. And in his classroom, he has a painting of himself painting himself. Because he's so, that conceited. It's hilarious. That's so iconic. Yeah, I think in terms of who is the best teacher, who knows? In terms of who do I love more, it's Lockhart. Yeah, that's, I mean, that's that's gotta be it, right? Like, we, we just... We gotta give it to him. That brings us in to this week's rankings. Um, last week we rated Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's Stone 8.25 for the movie and 8.75 for the book. Erica, where do you think you're at this week with the Chamber of Secrets? I ranked them both so high last time. And this time... They will still be high rankings, but just not quite as much. Um, So Chamber of Secrets, the book. Or should we start with the movie? We'll start with the movie. Okay. Um, I'll give it a... I'll 
I'll give it a seven. Okay. Yeah, I'll give it a seven. That's, very much loved, but it's just not for me as iconic as the first one. That's very interesting. I was going to give it an eight. Okay. So that brings it to a 7.5. Yeah. Nice 7.5. And the book. Hmm. I'll, I'll give the book an eight. I was also going to give it an eight. Great. Um, it, it's kind of funny. I did give this a lower ranking, even though I talked very highly of it. Um, I think last week I gave, gave it an 8.5, gave the movie an 8.5 and I only gave this one an eight. Um, even though I think like my own ranking, it like I, I, my own ranking doesn't say that it's better, but my heart says that the movie's better. I think objectively speaking, um, most people prefer the first movie like that. I feel like that's just like a, a known quantity is like more, more people prefer Sorcerer's Stone. Yeah. Um, like I know a lot of people whose least favorite book and movie is Chamber of Secrets. And I don't know anyone whose least favorite is Sorcerer's Stone. Yeah. Usually most people have Sorcerer's Stone somewhere in the middle. Yeah. Not necessarily at top, but definitely not in the bottom. Right. Um, but yeah, I, I just, I think... I had to take a little bit of that into consideration, um, even though I do like to rank with sometimes, sometimes with my own prejudice. Um, which is fine. Yeah, which it's is your fine. ranking. Um, join us next week when we rank and review Harry Potter and the Prisoner of Azkaban. Um, I will be obnoxious in that episode. I, I might be as well. Cause we, we <laughs> both love that. Um, yeah. Spoilers, it's probably going to hold number one. At least for the movie. Yeah, at least for the movie. Maybe not for the book. But for the movie, it probably will hold number one. Um, Oh, that reminds me. This week, uh, the rankings are number one, Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's Stone. Number two, Harry Potter and the Chamber of Secrets. That's true for both the movie and the book. It might change soon. (laughs) Um, I, of course, have been your host, Aaron Weiss. You can catch me on instagram and twitter at the weiss is right follow weisscast on instagram and twitter uh erica where can the good people of the internet find you you can find me primarily on instagram my handle is erica.j.weiss you can also find me on twitter where i'm a bit less active at underscore lavender ica And that concludes this week's Wife's Camera Action. Stay tuned. We will be returning to the Wizarding World soon. Toodles.